Thank you, Father. Oh, God, we love you. We love you so much, Lord. We worship you today. We glorify you. We magnify you, God. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. I had a bit of a revelation this week about worship and uh, was in 2 Samuel chapter 6. It talks about there was a time that the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. Their thought in capturing the Ark of the Covenant from the Israelis was, um, was that, you know, their God causes them to to have victory in battle and war. So they thought if we can get a hold of this box that the that the Jews worship, then we can tap into some of that. We can take not only weaken them, but to strengthen us. And you know what? It didn't work. To the point to where they put it in a a, a room with their other gods and their their other god fell over twice. He broke his hands off and he broke his head off. And and so what I was thinking about that story is that that's what happens when we put the presence of God or we put worship in the wrong place in our life. That sometimes we do that as a church that our hands break off and we can't raise our hands. We can't give God glory the way that we're supposed to because, our, you know, churches common church, the big C church, not this church, I hope, but it breaks the hands off. It breaks the head off. And so they wanted rid of that box and, and David goes in and gets it and is ready to bring it home. And this worship breaks out. David breaks out in worship, King David, and he's worshiping, you know, all the, all the instruments are playing. Everything is playing. And so they thought, well, we'll take it back to Israel. And the way that we're going to take it back to Israel, we're going to build a cart. They built a really nice cart for this box. And they set the box on the cart, and the cart began to make its way back to to Israel. And as it's making its way back to Jerusalem, back to the temple, it becomes unsettled on the cart. And a man named Uzzah, who is just a just a... He's a worshiper. He's worshiping at that moment, reaches out and steadies the the Ark of the Covenant and drops dead. Let me tell you what, when somebody drops dead in worship, it stops everything. And everybody stopped. I mean, this is a party going on and all of a sudden everything stops. And what David gets a revelation of is this. I mean, he began to seek God for 90 days. He seeked God for why this happened. And he got the revelation that... God's box, His presence was never meant for a cart. It was never meant for a man-made object to carry it. It was meant for the priests to carry it. Are you with me? Now get this. The way that God said that box needs to be carried is that the priesthood would take it and put it on their shoulders and carry the weight of His presence. That's our job during worship. That's our job day after day is we can't make our carts carry the presence of God. We we can't make our methods, even though they're really cool, 
even though you have good intentions, you can't make your method fit worship. It's meant that we worship the way God told us to worship. And it's under the weight of His glory, under the weight of His presence. It's His presence. And in this place today, there is a presence of God in the air. Amen. There's a weight of glory in this place. And His glory is not meant for you to carry on your method. It's meant to carry on His His, uh, His Word. Amen? Y'all are looking at me like a calf at a new gate. Don't know whether to go through this thing or not. But you get what I'm saying. There's a weight to His glory, and we must carry it on our shoulders every day. Not just one-seventh of the week. Not just here. It becomes our life that we carry His glory. We carry His presence on our shoulders. We feel His weight. We feel Him. Amen? That was a big revelation to me. I don't know about you, but it's a big revelation. When David began to take that back in the right way, in the correct way, in the correct method, God's method, all of a sudden, he began to worship so exuberantly because it was done right and as he began to worship God from the from the place that they brought it from all the way back to Israel every six steps that David would take or that the people would take they would sacrifice a lamb all the way back every six can you imagine one two three four five six kill a lamb worship one two three Six. Kill a lamb. Worship. We got any lambs in here to kill? <laughs> we need to we need to sacrifice our lambs to carry his weight and to, to, to worship the way that God wants us to worship. Amen. 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 Father, thank you so much for this day. God, thank you so much that we get to stand here in your presence. We get to be in your presence. And God, help us to see, help us to help us to carry your presence the way that it's supposed to be carried. And God, that we don't just worship when we come to church. We worship continually. And Father, I pray that there would be an exuberant, unhindered worship that would begin to take place in our lives. God, as we stand before you, that we can begin to dance before you. That God, as we bow our faces to the floor, God, that we can just get flat out in love with you and worship you, God. I praise you. I thank you for a new place of worship for each person who's hearing me today. Father, whether they're here in this building or whether they're online watching, God, I pray that there would be a new worship, a new place that we've never even been to before. God, I worship you and praise you today. And thank you for all that you do and all that you continue to do in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You all received that this morning? All right. Well, give the worship team a hand clap. And then turn around and give somebody a high five. Tell them you're glad to see them this morning. Amen.
Well, good morning. Somebody's glad to see me. How y'all doing this morning? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? Did you eat too much? Yeah, I had a good one. I had a good one because I I really found it a, a great thing that everybody on Thanksgiving Day celebrated my birthday with turkey. And man, it was just so good that you all did that just for me. Amen. I turned 55 this week. Man, double nickel. Boy, you all are just a bundle of joy this morning. How you doing? Good. Well, there's uh, things that i got to say, and I, I don't even know where to start. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, go to Romans. Romans chapter 5. This is a two-Bible day today. Amen? Is that all right? All right. Well, I want to welcome everybody this morning. I'm, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here. If you have never met you, I look forward to when we do get to meet, whether that's today or some other time. I appreciate y'all coming out, and I appreciate um, getting to be your pastor. It is an awesome opportunity, and it's a it's humbling to get to stand up here and minister and preach to you. And I hope that today that uh, you get something from what I'm going to talk about. Amen. I want to welcome our Kingdom Ranch family. Good to see you guys this morning, and I'm hopeful that it's good to be seen. And uh, it's cold here. I hope it's. Uh, Hope you're enjoying your pretty weather. Man, I went out there a couple of weeks ago, and it was perfect in the 60s uh, in the daytime, which usually it's, when I go out there, it's hot. It's always hot. And so it was really nice. Got to play a couple of rounds of golf while I was there, and uh, it was fun. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Thanks, son. I'll give you $20 later. All right. Well, good deal. Um, I want to start off this morning here in Romans chapter 5. And as you're turning over to Romans chapter 5, um, the line of thought that's been going on here uh, the last few weeks, uh, not last weekend with Richard. Did you all have a good time with Richard last weekend, Richard Frieden? Man, that was so good. And so to, to hear what's going on in Israel and things like that and... and uh, getting some updates on stuff that's going on. But the weeks before that, starting with CW a few weeks ago, um, his message, then Rhett's message following that, and then Lynette's message following that was, uh, man, it's just been so good. And I believe that God has got us in a place, uh, he's got us on a line of thought that, that, it's, it's not pointing out our imperfections so much as humanity's, uh, gosh, can't even think of the word. The way humanity works, the way that, that our human nature works, and the way our human nature works is we need Jesus, right? And we need Jesus because there is sin in this world. We all have, we're, the Bible says that we've all been sinners. We all need Jesus. The only way to get past sin is to uh, is to receive Jesus. Amen? Amen. 
And, and so in that, uh, between C.W. Rhett and Lynette, they begin to talk about the imperfections of our humanity. And so, um, we've been, we've been talking just a little bit about sin. Amen? Amen. Sin. Now, people get really funny when you start talking about sin. Because there's some people that say, you know, and I, and I've been in churches before that they preach on sin every week. And when they preach on sin, um, the, people can get really critical when you start preaching on sin because if you preach it every service, then it becomes condemning and ac- acu- uh, uh, causative. It becomes condemning and causative. It becomes that, that place where we, uh, think that if we talk about sin all the time, it's, it's like this. It's, it's like, um, if I tell you right now, don't think about purple hippopotamuses, what did you just think of? Purple hippopotamus. Even though I told you not to think that. Even though I told you not to think that. That's, that's where our mind goes. So sometimes the, the, the thing is, is when we preach on sin, all of a sudden our mind, we become the, become sin conscious. You know what I'm talking about? And, and so, um, there's some people that, that get critical and they say, you know, if we preach it every service, we get become condemning and causative. Or if we never preach on it, if we never preach on sin, then we become avoiding and allowing of sin. And there's, there's people that really criticize Joel Osteen because he don't, he don't preach on sin so much. I mean, hardly ever do you hear him talking directly about sin. And people go, well, you know, he, he's a preacher and he don't preach on sin. Maybe he don't fit. Maybe that's his calling. Maybe he don't feel like doing it. Maybe, maybe he feels like I would rather be uh, criticized for this than to make people fall into sin by preaching on it. You know what I'm talking about? So I don't know if I'm explaining that very well, but that's, that's the, that's the deal. People, people get critical when you start preaching on sin. So uh, I've, I've asked, what is the perfect time to preach on sin? What's the perfect time? When Holy Spirit tells us to preach on sin, right? So anyways, that's kind of been the line of thought. The imperfection of our humanity over over the last few weeks, that's what's been talked about. CW talked a little bit about it. Rhett talked about it with the, with the FOMO, right? Fear of missing out. And then Lynette talked about the accusations of sin in our life. So in that, that's where we're at. And I believe that, that this is the perfect time because as we're looking at current events, what's happening in Israel and things like that, what, what we're seeing is that we are starting to pick up speed toward the end days, the last days, the end times. Amen. We're starting to pick up speed and, and Jesus is coming soon. Did you know that? Jesus is coming soon. Now, some of you all are sitting there going, I've heard that all my life. Well, I can honestly tell you we're one day closer to him coming back than we were yesterday. So it's, it's coming. It's, 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 it's happening. And the thing about it is, is we're seeing things start to line, seeing things starting to line up. Um, you know, some people say, well, you know, the wars broke out in, in the sixties and the seventies over there and things happened over in Israel. Things, things have been just, you know, politics and all that kind of stuff is just closing in on us. They've been doing that for many years, but I believe that we're in a place that we've never been before. 
because things are lining up and Jesus is coming and he can come anytime he wants to. God is sovereign. He can come anytime he wants to. I don't think he's coming today, but he could if he wanted to. And if he wanted to, and if he did come today, would we be in a place where we have that known sin that that we have, have we stepped into the place where we're forgiven, where we've given that sin over to God? I don't want to leave this earth, even though I don't believe that, that every sin will send you to hell, especially if you're a Christian, right? Not Sin don't send you to hell. Not believing in Jesus will send you to hell. But see, I don't want to be in this place where I've got sin in my life and, and Jesus comes back, I go to heaven and he says, buddy, you got some things to learn. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you in, but it's by the skin of your teeth. <laughs> because you got stuff going on in your life that you don't need going on in your life and you didn't take care of it on earth. I think there's things that we need to take care of. Amen? There's attitudes, there's, there's actions, there's all kinds of things that, that, that we have on the inside of us that need to be taken care of. And if Jesus is coming soon, we need to get our crap together. I'm sorry, this is family service. We need to get our stuff together. I might get a little kid slapped in the mouth later. <laughs> so don't say it, kids. Don't talk like Pastor Darren talks. <laughs> See, I need to get my stuff together. Because Jesus is coming back soon. And and we don't need sin to begin to separate us from God. Or to keep us separated from the fullness of who God is. Amen? So we need to know how to identify sin in in our lives or that's around us. And how to separate from sin instead of letting sin separate us from God. Amen? Now, sin, when we talk about sin, sin entered into this world from Adam in the Garden of Eden. And and there's been so many times I've stood on this stage or stood up here and said, you know, when I get to heaven, the first person I'm going to find is Adam. And I'm going to go to him and I'm going to tell him, dude, you messed it up for all of us. What's wrong with you? And as I said that, you know, I always said that, just kind of get a little chuckle, a little laugh. I got checked up on it. Holy Spirit checked me up. And he said, buddy... Who are you to say that about Adam? Because your life, when the, you wouldn't have lasted half as long as he did. Now we don't know, the Bible don't tell us how long it was. Sometimes we think it was on day eight that Adam messed up. But there, there was probably years and years of him serving God the way that he was, the way that he was supposed to before he messed up. And that's what the Holy Spirit was checking me up on saying, Bud, you in the last that had look examine your life. Duh. Examine your life. You in the last half as long as he did. So I, I'm I'm not gonna approach him. I'm, I'm gonna look across at a distance and go, I don't know. I'm not gonna go over there and say anything. So here in Romans chapter five talks a little bit about that. Romans chapter five, you there? Okay, I am not going to be prideful today. I turned 55 this week. So I'm going to put these on. All right, Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Let's look at this. It says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. 
But even greater, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so it says, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and His gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings the right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became even more abundant. So just as sin ruled all people and, and brought them to, brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us the, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you for this day and I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that your word lives and dwells and burns on the inside of us. So God, as we get into your word, as we get into this teaching today, I pray that you would give me the voice to speak your heart. And Father, anything that that uh, that you would have the people to know that I didn't put in my notes or something like that, God, I pray that you would just quicken my spirit to your voice. I thank you and I praise you for what we're going to do today, what we're going to learn today. And God, I just pray that your your grace and your comfort would uh, help us to understand it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 See, God here in this in this uh, group of scripture that we just read, God has given us the ability through His Word to identify and eradicate sin. It's, it comes through the blood of His Son Jesus. The blood of See, Jesus came to this earth, and you all know this, most of, most everybody knows this, that Jesus came to this earth to eradicate sin. And the only thing that would eradicate sin was His blood. And so, I mean, one drop of His blood would have, because He was perfect, one drop of His blood would have took care of sin. But Jesus gave all of His blood to this earth. He gave us all the even abundance of, of His grace in the blood caused sin to be eradicated. However, sin still exists on this earth, right? And it still plagues us. And it's still, there's still things on the inside of us. There's, there's known sins that we have, but there's also unknown sins that we have. And God doesn't hold those things against us, but when we are in His Word, we begin to see those things come to light on the inside of us. And that's our job that when we see those things come to light, to then begin to get rid of them. To put them back in the blood of Jesus. Amen? That's the way, it, that's the way God's grace works. Because the blood of Jesus is His grace. His blood is wrapped up. God's goodness and His, and the blood of Jesus is all wrapped up in this one little word called grace. Amen? So we thank God for His grace. We thank God for that blood in the midst of our humanity. Because it's almost, when we read this this group of scriptures here, it's almost like He says, you know, we sin more and more. And the more we sin, the more 
available God's grace is. And so it's almost like when we read that, it's almost like um, I need to sin more so that I can have more grace. And it's almost like we get a, this freebie pass to say we can sin because we've got grace to cover that up. Absolutely not. It, the Apostle Paul goes on and writes here, it goes on into chapter 6, and I am going to be too prideful. No, it's just far enough apart to where it's blurry this way, it's blurry that way. So, I don't, And I don't want to read like that. But he goes on in, in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can keep on showing us more grace? Or more and more of His wonderful grace. And verse 2 says, Of course not. Of course not. We don't, we don't need to, you know, we don't need to keep sinning so that we get more grace. Or to see grace work, we just, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna blow it today just so I can see grace work. That's not the way it goes. Don't do that. That's dangerous. Amen? Are you all with me this morning? Alright. So I, I loved what Pastor Lynette began to preach the other day about the accusation of sin. And she said, that that as we maneuver the curves of life, and that one phrase stuck out to me, we maneuver the curves of life. And that's the way we walk through life. We, we walk through life maneuvering these curves, going around these curves. But when sin begins to happen, when we do step over into sin, all of a sudden you're going around these curves and the speed starts starts picking up. And we can go to zero to 120 in a matter of no time because that's what sin does. And we're just going, we're enjoying these, these curves of life, this beautiful scenery in these curves. And then all of a sudden it, we, we begin to sin and the, the speed starts picking up. And we get into this place, what I like to call a high speed wobble. Now listen, I, I've been, I've been riding motorcycles my whole life. And there was a time, can I just tell you a quick story? Um, there was a time when I was a little kid, my brother and I raced flat track motorcycles. So we, we raced on a dirt oval when, when I was little. And so I raced a 50, a 50 cc motorcycle, a little a Honda 50, and that was my race bike. And my dad knew it was time for me to move up a class. So he went out and bought me a, Yamaha YZ80. So I went from a 50 to an 80. And this bike was was specifically set up for flat track racing. And so flat track racing, when you have a motorcycle um, set up for that, the shifter, how many ride the motorcycles? So the shifter on a normal motorcycle is on the left-hand side, right? So the clutch and the shifter is over here, and you you get used to that. But when you ride a flat track motorcycle, they move the shifter to the other side. So you have your, your shifter and your brake right together. So my dad buys me this motorcycle and I have to learn to ride it because of the fact that I'm used to having the shifter on the left hand side or the left foot side. Now I've got to learn how to shift over here on the right hand side. And so I'm practicing on this motorcycle and my dad says, you know, just, Wide open, speed shift, go through the gears. So I'm just running straight back and forth in, in the pasture out behind our house. And I get, I get on there and I, I am getting after it. I get into the third and fourth gear and I'm got her cracked wide open. And as I do, 
all of a sudden, I go into a high-speed wobble. The bars start doing this. The handlebars start doing this. And then all of a sudden, what we, what we call it in motorcycle racing is a tank slapper. We were, I, I mean, this thing is getting all out of control. That's what it's like when we sin. That's like what it's like. We get out of control. We go into a high-speed wobble. We get into a tank slapper on, in sin. And needless to say, it did not work out very well for me because I crashed that bike and it tore it up. And I, I don't think it ever ran again after that. All my dad's money went down the drain. That's what it's like to be in sin. We get into sin, and it may not start out a high-speed wobble immediately, but as you continue in that, it begins to get out of control. Y'all okay? The thing about it is, is we get out of control. We get into this high-speed wobble, but we still, there's a deception there that says that we are in control. Until we hit the ground and tear things up, we think we're in control. And that's the deception of sin. On the back side of that deception, and when things finally come back into focus, the feeling is awful. Because that's where guilt and shame come in. That's where condemnation comes in. It's when we're in that place in deception. So let's, let's move further into this and go over to James chapter 1. James, I'm going to change Bibles. James chapter 1. As I begin to to search this out and as I begin to study this out, I I felt like if there's a common feeling associated with sin, then there's a common process to sin. Did you all get that? If there's a common feeling to sin... There's got to be a common process of sin. And so the Bible, I believe, reveals this process to us so that we don't get out of control or we don't feel out of control in, in the midst of getting our, our things right with God. So here in James chapter 1, verse 12, listen to this. Chapter 1, verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. He said, blessed is the man who endures temptation. I think about this word endure, this, this word endure. A few years ago, I had the opportunity uh, when I was, I had been diagnosed with, with Parkinson's disease. And, and I'm looking at, I, I'm wanting healing from this bad. Right? I mean, any, anytime you're diagnosed with something, you want, you want rid of this thing. Amen? And so I was in a spot where I was doing everything. I went to, to Georgia to a healing school for two weeks. I, I had, I mean, so many people here prayed over me and still pray for me in this, in this, uh, uh affliction. And, you know, I, I've just had so many things, so many people uh, praying for me and so many things I've tried to do to get, uh, to get a, the full manifestation of healing in my body. So one of the things I did is I had the opportunity to go see a man named David Hogan. Now David Hogan, I think I mentioned him several weeks ago in a, in a, uh, 
a, a talk that I was given. But David Hogan, when we went to see him over in Loveland, David Hogan, his ministry has, at the time that I went to see him, had over 300 people resurrected from the dead. Documented 300 people raised from the dead. So I'm, I'm expecting powerful miracle. I'm expecting a miracle when I walk into this room with David Hogan. To the point to where I, I got prayer and it, and it just, it, it wasn't what I was expecting. And, and so the next day we went back to see him again. And my wife is wanting to see this. She's wanting to see this manifestation of healing in my body. And so she approaches David Hogan and she goes up and she says, I need prayer. And he says, all right, I'll pray for you. And she said, no, you don't pray for me. You pray for him. I want my husband prayed for. And he's like, okay, man. <laughs> and so she, she's crying. She calls me up there. I walk up there and David Hogan's standing in my face and, and he begins to pray and he reaches out and touches me. And I felt, I felt the fire of God hit me. He goes, fire. And when he said fire, I felt fire, but it didn't heal the way that I was expecting. It didn't, it didn't work. Well, I, I, expect, I was expecting when he said fire to hit the floor and do the chicken, you know, and, and, and the, and the healing come and, and everything. And I, it would be such an awesome manifestation of a miracle, right? That's what I was expecting, but it didn't happen that way. I felt it, but I was still standing there looking at him, just like I'm looking at you. Like, what the heck? And so David Hogan looks me in the eyes and he says, you're going to have to endure. Not what I wanted to hear. (laughs) He says, you need to endure. And so when I saw this word uh, here in verse 12, it says, blessed is the man who endures temptation. I, I heard what David Hogan said. So I looked this word endure up here. This word endure in the Bible means to hold one's ground in conflict. That's what endurance means, to hold one's ground in conflict, to bear up against adversity. That's good, isn't it? Endure. To bear up under adversity. Hold the line during conflict. And so there's, there's more to this as I begin to push it on further into this word endure. Um, I found my mistake in, in what I thought endure meant. What I thought David Hogan was saying was that you just need to, you need to set back and endure. You need to set back, hold the line, and and let God work. You need to you need to just just have patience, right? Just just have patience. You're gonna have to endure this for a time. That's what I thought. But here here was my mistake because the 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 definition goes on further. And to endure means uh, to hold one's ground in conflict, to bear up in adversity. Then it goes on and says. Not passive resignation of fate and mere patience, but active energetic resistance to defeat that uh, to defeat that allows calm and brave endurance. It's 
it's not passive resignation. That's where my mistake was. I was thinking endure means just to, to sit down and wait for God to do something. I'm going to have to just bear with this. I'm just going to have to walk this out. And yes, there is some walking it out, but it's not walking it out passively. I was being passive. I was still holding the line and I was still bearing up, but I was doing it in passiveness. And, and thinking that it's just, all this is going to take is just mere patience. But this says that endurance means that I have to be active. That I have to have energetic resistance in order to defeat that which allows calm and brave endurance. Does that make sense? We can't be passive in our endurance. And so when we come back to what we're talking about, we're talking about sin. When we come back to sin, we need, the, the Bible says that blessed is the man who endures temptation. Endures. Don't sit back and allow it to take up residence while we roll around in grace. Amen? We can't just, we can't just waller, waller, like my dad used to say, waller. You can't just waller in grace or waller in sin thinking that grace is going to take care of it. No, we've got to endure knowing that God is going to come through, but we've got, we can't be passive. We've got to be energetic. We've got to, we've got to do something. Endurance takes some action, not sitting down and waiting. He, he's, the, the, the definition says to hold, to bear up, to be active, energetically resist that. So he said, blessed is a man who endures temptation when he has been approved. The word approve means to be tested by fire in the furnace of adversity. If, if, um, if in the midst of purifying gold, if, if gold had a, had feelings like we do, it wouldn't like to be in the fire because it's, it's violent in the fire. It's violent to become red hot. It's violent to become, um, uh, liquefied from a, from a, uh, solid beginning, right? And so there's this, this violence that fire, that heat brings to the gold that begins to purify that gold. That's what being approved is. Approved is te- being tested in the furnace of adversity. It's, it's violent. It hurts. It, it, it's, it's tough to go through that. Amen. It's tough to, to be in that position. But he says here, blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There's some endurance and there's some approval and coming through the other side of that, that being tested in the furnace on the other side of that is something more precious. It it, it takes it takes um, a little bit of violence. It takes a little bit of pain. It takes a little bit of, of uh, adversity to bring about the purification that is needed to make that crown of life. Amen? Amen. That's good. I don't know if you all think that's good, but that's good. It's good. Amen. So why is, why is to endure and be approved so important? Because... Stay with me, okay? Because sin is pleasurable 
satisfying and comforting for a season. In Hebrews chapter 11 verse 25 says that sin is, is fun for a season. That's, that's my words. But it says that, that is, it is pleasurable for a season. And our favorite sins are the ones we love. Sin, we, our humanity loves sin. It loves it because there's, there's this deception that it is, it is good for a season. There's this deception that it is, it's fun. There's this deception that it's pleasurable. It is pleasurable, but only for a season because that season will come to an end. And when it comes to an end, that's when we are finding ourselves being picked up off the ground because of the high speed wobble that we couldn't control. When my dad come out and pick me up off the ground, and he picked the motorcycle up and he went, oh, crud. <laughs> well, you messed that one up. That's, that's what, that's what happens. So that's why to endure and being approved is so important. Because if we can set aside the things we love for the one who we love, if we can set aside what we love for who we love, then there is some approval that begins to take place. There is some Heat in the furnace. Amen? Amen. But the end result is always the same when, when sin's involved. The end result is always the same. Guilt and shame come. And guilt and shame are terrible. It's, it's, it's a bad place to be when we harbor shame and guilt. So how do we slow the wobble? How do we slow down the out of control feeling of sin? Let's, let's move forward in this. James chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 12 again and we're going to go on down. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive a crown of life, uh, which the Lord has promised those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by any, by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. Did you get that? God, it's, God's not, not the one that, that masters that. He's not the creator of that. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. So as I read through this and, and what I've heard and what I've heard taught and what I've learned over the, over the years is that there are seven progressions to sin. See, we, so many times, uh, me and Lynette as pastors, we, you know, we've counseled, we've, we've, we don't like to call ourselves counselors because we have no certificate on the wall that says we're good at that <laughs> and that we've learned that. But as a pastor, you, you get into, we call it discipleship. We get into those places where we begin to, you know, we hear people's problems. We hear what people are going through and we try to interject what we've learned from the word over the years. And so, um, where was I going with that? 
Anyways. That stinks. That is 55 years old right there. Good Lord. It was good too. I promise you. It was really good. It was really good. Huh? Yeah, the seven progressions. Um, golly. I just went right out the window. It'll come back. And when it does, I'll catch up, okay? So there are these seven progressions of sin. Um, golly. I don't even know how to tra- transition into what I'm going to say now. Because that was a perfect transition. I, I ruined it. Um, anyway, so here, here in the scripture, I'm sorry. Here in the scripture, there, it says each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. It was right there again. It's embarrassing. Seven progressions of sin. Number one. Uh, it says each one is tempted. Each one is tempted. That, that word tempted. So, so the first progression is being tempted. Now, temptation is not a sin. Okay? This is just the beginnings of sin. The beginnings of, of what the enemy wants to do to bring us into sin. So number one is, is, is temp, being tempted. Temptation is not a sin. But you cannot sin without being tempted. So that's our first, that's our first understanding of where things are headed. When we are tempted with things that we know are not right, when, when there's a temptation there, that's what begins this progression. And, and it begins this progression, but temptation is not sin. Can you say that with me? Temptation is not sin. So, the, because the Bible says that Jesus was, was without sin, right? But before it says that Jesus was without sin, it says there in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15, it says Jesus was tempted as we are, but without or yet without sin. He was tempted the same way we are. He dealt with temptation. So temptation is not a sin. In, in 1 John chapter 2 verse 16, it says that our temptation falls into three categories. It, it falls into three categories. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. <clears throat> that is where Adam fell. That's where he failed. That's where sin entered in. All of a sudden, there was this deception, this temptation that came to Eve, and and she saw that the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good, uh, was was a, was going to be tasty. It was going to be something. It wasn't so bad, you know. The the temptation came to partake of what God told them not to partake of, and when she did, that's where Adam failed. But Jesus, because he was tempted on all points in all the ways that we are and did not sin, then that temptation, Jesus succeeded in the midst of that. Amen? So 
temptation is not sin. For us to think that that temptation is a sin or that temptation is evil, um, it, it, um, it's a dangerous thing to think that temptation is sin because if, if, if I believe that it is sin, then it opens the door for a spirit of guilt and self-accusation to, to enter into me. Because if just being tempted, if I have a, if I have an evil thought or a bad thought, um, and I think, well, I thought it, so I must be bad. I must be evil. Then there's going to be no problem with me continuing down that path and enter into sin. Because, hey, the thought precedes the act. If I've already thought it, then I've already done it. So if I've done it, then I'm a sinner anyway. So I might as well just do the act, right? But that's the danger. That's the danger of, of, uh, of, of thinking that temptation is sin. Because if I already think that I'm a sinner in that because I thought it or because I'm, I'm being tempted, then that puts, uh, I, I line myself up with the, with the accuser of the brethren, which is Satan. I line my thoughts up with his thoughts and I become a self accuser of, uh, I've become an accuser of myself when he's already accused us. I don't want to, I don't want to line my thoughts up with the devil. I don't want you to line your thoughts up with the devil. I don't want the spirit of guilt to, to, uh, keep me in, uh, in, in its grips. Amen? Amen? Because if I think that I've already, I'm already an awful person, then I might as well act on the temptation like an awful person, like the awful person that I am. And so that is the danger of being, of thinking that temptation is already sin. Number two, he said, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away. Number two is being drawn away. This word drawn away means as an animal that is lured or drawn out from its hiding. I mean, Becky stood up here and said, you know, who's my hunters? You know, when we go hunting, we lure them out, whether it's with a call or, or, you know, whether it's with baiting them with corn, whatever the case may be. We learn to lure an animal out. This is what this word drawn away means, is to be drawn away as an animal lured or drawn out from its hiding. We are lured from the safety of our self-restraint. But here's what I want you to see. Here in this, in, in James chapter 1, this verse 14, the, the language here is not, the, the language here gets a little more graphic than just being lured out as an animal being lured out. The, the language changes from, from an animal point of view to a human point of view because the language is not about being lured by a hunter, but the, but it changes to the seduction of a harlot. We are, we are not lured out, we're seduced out. The seduction of a, of a harlot is what that language is saying here in James chapter one. Because the seduction of a harlot does this. It appeals to every sense, every emotion, and every pleasure of human nature. When you read the, when you read Proverbs chapter five, chapter six, and chapter seven, you see the, this, the craftiness of a, of a harlot. You see 
as this young man who uh, Solomon is writing about in Proverbs, you see this young man being enticed by the harlot on the street. She tells him everything that she that, that he wants to hear in order to get him into their into their bed. So that's the that's the craftiness. That's as far as I'm going to go with this because we've got children in the room, all right? And and I'm not going to explain to your kids. You're going to have to. So that's as far as I'm going, all right? But that's what the that's what the language is here in James chapter one. It's it's got this this sense and emotion and, and pleasure uh, tied to it. Even though that's the case, it is still not sin yet. Number three, he said he is drawn away by his own desires. Number three is his own is our own desires. That is our personal lust, our personal desires. It's the thing that's on the inside of us that we all know that that we're all familiar with it's it's all of our cravings all of our desires all of our longings for what is forbidden we all have that we all you know um, have this have this uh, inherent rebellion on the inside of us that we have to learn how to temper this you know somebody tells you not to do it what do you want to do do it you know somebody says don't touch that what do you want to do touch it don't go there. We want to go there. Don't taste it. We want to taste it. It's our own desires. It's that personal lust, the cravings, the desires, the longing for what is forbidden. It's the place. Our own desires is the place where we set our our personal our uh, our we set our personal affections on. See, God wants to be that for us. He wants to be that that we set our personal affections on. See, we think and we act from where we set our affections. We think and we act from where we set our affections. So that's why it's so important for us to be in the Word of God. That's why it's so important for us to worship God. That's why it's so important for us to be in conversation and prayer with God. That's why it's so important to start out your day with the Word of God. Because if we see, if we, if we will put our, our personal affections there, then we don't have to, we don't have to really deal a whole lot with this temptation. Or, or let me say it this way. We know how to deal with temptation when we've got the Word of God. We know how to deal with temptation when we have worship in our lives. We've set our affections on Him and not on what we want. But so many times that what we want is where we go. Here, let me look up. I don't want anybody to think I'm looking at them. When I grew up in the church that I grew up in, I remember my pastor when I was a little kid, he would preach and he would stare at the ceiling while he preached. And I never knew why until I became a preacher. And you start talking about sin, you start talking about these things. Yeah, you got to stare at the ceiling for a little bit. Because you don't want nobody going, has he been, did he got my house bug? No, I just know you because I know me. Amen. Amen. So it's the place that, that our own desires is the place where we set our personal affections. So that's number three. Number four, let's move on. When we're drawn away, he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. That word enticed is the fourth progression. 
Being enticed literally means to catch by bait. This is deception. That's the deception. See, when you set a mouse trap and you put a little bit of cheese or peanut butter on that deal and you, and you set it and you put it down and ready for that, that mouse is being lured out by bait. And he's going to step on that. He's going to reach up there and grab that. And when he does, it'll snap his neck. That's, we deceive them into thinking that they're getting a free meal. When they've been getting a free meal all along, now we've got, we, we intentionally give them a free meal to kill them. That's what the enemy does to us. That's what enticement is. He's in, we're enticed by deception. Because that's where the weakening of the will comes in. We know it's wrong, but if I can just get a little taste. Our will, if, if we're not, if we're not mounted up, if we not set our affections on the Word of God, on worship, on, on, uh, following after God, then our will becomes weak. And when that bait is out there, we think, we think we're getting a free meal. That's what happened to Eve in the garden. In Genesis chapter three, verse three through six, it says this. This is from the New Living Translation. It says, Eve is talking. She's, and when she's, uh, being confronted by Satan or the serpent, it says, it's only the fruit from the tree of the, in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent said, replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened. Listen to this. This is the bait. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. They already knew good and evil. They already knew the full goodness of God. They weren't learning anything else, but the enemy is baiting them out, luring them out, seducing her. And, he, and this goes on. It says the woman was uh, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some from the fruit, uh, some of the fruit, and ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her. He ate it too. It wasn't sin when she ate it. It was sin when she gave it to Adam and he said, okay. <laughs> Crunch. That's where Adam was the one with all the authority. Adam was the one that had the power and the authority to say, no, we're not doing that, woman. Repent. Don't even think that way. But he didn't. I always thought Adam was on the other side of the garden and Eve was over here doing her thing. No, he was right with her. And he watched her do that. And then he did it. And when he did it, all sin entered into this earth. Everything that we deal with entered into this earth. She was enticed. She was enticed. That's number four. Number five. Man, I gotta hurry. Verse 15 says, then when desire has conceived, that's the fifth one. Desire has conceived. This, uh, this word desire in the King James Version is lust. When lust has conceived. See, that, when that happens, sin begins to happen. That's where sin begins to be sin in our life. Up to this point, even being enticed, 
It's not, it's not sin until we give ourselves to it. And it says that desire is conceived. That means the will has not just been weakened, it has totally yielded to the sin. Literally, it takes us prisoner at that moment. When our will is weakened and we have yielded over to it, when we yield to it, we have become a prisoner to that sin. Amen? This is, it says, desire has conceived. That word conceived there is, is exactly what it's meant to, to be, uh, given. There comes an incubation of lust that begins to quietly grow. When we yield ourselves to that temptation, when we give ourselves to that, now there becomes, it becomes sin and sin begins to be uh, incubated. That lust, that desire becomes an incubation. It enters into incubation where it begins to grow quietly. See, when, when conception happens in a human being, in a woman, she doesn't have to do anything to make that grow. I mean, of course she eats right, she does all the right things, but whether she does the right things or not, it's gonna grow. It begins to happen. There ain't nothing that she does to make it grow. It begins to grow. Amen? So things, things begin to happen. That's what happens to sin. It begins to grow. That lust on the inside of us begins to grow when we get, yield to it. Then comes the sixth progression. Then when desire is conceived, it begin, it gives birth to sin. Now sin is, has entered in. It is in that incubation time. Now it, it comes to, comes to fruition. The King James Version here says, it doesn't say birth, it says brings forth. It brings forth sin. The, the word, the Greek word for brings forth is this word called tiktu, or tikto. T-I-K-T-O. And it literally means birth. So the, the New King James got it right that it gives birth. That natural birthing process. Now, it's, it's like a natural birth. A woman passes that baby through the, the, the canal of life and it comes out and, and it's, it's the, it's the baby. It still needs to grow into the mature human form, but it's the baby. It has grown naturally on the inside and now it's come out. Sin, it says gives birth to sin, brings forth sin. Sin, it means this. Missing the true goal or missing the scope of life. That's what sin means. I, I, when I, when I was studying this out, I started thinking about Abraham's son, Ishmael. See, God told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, that the nation would come through him, right? That, 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 you know, uh, Israel would become a nation through him. Yet his wife has been barren. So she says, how can this happen? She says, sleep with my maidservant and have a baby with her. And he did. This is where Ishmael come from. This is where all this stuff is taking place today comes through the, 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 the heirs of Ishmael. Not Isaac. Isaac was the promised son. Ishmael is the, the man trying to make God's word come to pass. 
That's what happens with us. Is that we give birth to Ishmael's when we sin. Ishmael was the, the son of sin, of the son of sin of Abraham. Not the way God wanted it. So that's what, you know, when we missed the, the, the true goal, the true goal was to, to create a, a people, a culture out of Abraham. It was to create a, a, a true culture out of him, a generation of people. That was the scope of life that God had, but Abraham totally missed it because he didn't do it the way God wanted him to do it. Amen? Amen. So that is that is what he's saying. It brings forth sin. Here's the seventh one. Said, let's read verse 15 again. It says, Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Number seven is to bring forth death. Now, death there is either spiritual or physical, or it can be spiritual and or uh, physical. What it literally means is the shortness of life. It begins when we sin and we let it come to the place of maturing, as it matures, we shorten life for ourselves. Amen? Does that make sense? Yes, it's scary. We should understand, we should understand that sin causes, uh, there's a, there's a cause and effect to sin. And that is death. The, the book of Romans says the wages of sin is death. That don't mean that when you sin, you're going to drop dead. Sometimes I, I wish it was. Because that way we just deal with it like that. But it's, it's not the way it works. It, it begins a process of death. See, death, uh, it, it, it can be spiritual or physical. Now, this it says here, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, in that last deal, it says, you know, brings forth birth, right? And that was a Hebrew word called tikto. In, in this, it says brings forth. It's a different word. Brings forth is a different word. It's apakuo. Apakuo means to beget. Beget. Beget doesn't just mean birth. Beget means training for intended maturity. So when death, it brings forth death, sin causes us to begin to train, to train for intended maturity. In other words, it brings about death. There's a process to death that begins to happen. Make sense? Am I confusing you? Okay. Now, when those are the, those are the seven progressions. When, when we see those things, we think that, that can be scary. It can be real scary because our sin can begin to do that, bring forth death ultimately. That's just one sin. Just think about multiple sins that we don't deal with. Think about what the enemy tries to take advantage of in our life when we don't stop sin in its tracks. That's what happens when we do sin. This progression begins to happen. Death doesn't happen immediately, but left alone, unchecked or unattended and allowed to mature, 
It shortens our life and makes way for illness, disease, and all sorts of harm. It opens the door for the enemy just to take it over. We become a prisoner to that. Now, that's what happens when we leave it unchecked. But thank God we've got a way to check it. Amen? Rhett, would you come on up and start playing for me, son? How do we combat these seven progressions so that they don't become uh, the progression that happens in our life? How do we combat that? I'm so glad you asked the question because I'm, I'm going to tell you how. You ready? Yes. So how do we combat these seven progressions? There are two ways that we com- combat that. Number one happens in second, write this scripture down, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 and 5. Listen to what this says. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is what he's saying. He's saying, you know, when we're tempted, when we're, when we're seeing this progression to start in our life, when, when the, the enemy is wanting us to, wanting to weaken our will to give ourselves over to this temptation, we got to understand that temptation is nothing more than a high thought that, that tries to exalt itself against God in our life. When we are in the Word, when we are worshipers of God, when we are people who are setting our affections on Him, then we have this ability to see the temptation for what it is and not give in to it. Because we cast down imaginations. We All the temptation, all the seduction, all the lust, all the deceptions are all strongholds, arguments, and high things that, that exalt itself against God. And it, that is where it needs to stop. We're going to be tempted. We might as well stop it at the tempted stage and not allow it to weaken us, not allow it to take take us prisoner. And it's all stopped by our authority in the Word of God. If we don't know the Word of God, we can't stand up against it. We've got to know the Word of God. We've got to know our authority. We've got to walk in the identity of having God as our authority. The Word of God as our authority. Amen? Jesus, when He was tempted, we can see that in the Gospels, Jesus was tempted. Three times, Jesus was tempted. And every time that Jesus was tempted, He spoke the Word of God to the tempter. He spoke to... He he would say, what does the Word of God say? The Word of God says... This is what God says. This is what He says. This is what the Old Testament says. This is what the law says. He said that to the enemy. And the Bible says that when He said that to the enemy, He didn't just defeat the enemy. He took away all of the enemy's authority to tempt Him. And it says that He went away from Jesus for a more opportune time. It took three and a half years from that moment for the enemy to come back and find Him. And still He didn't tempt him into sin Jesus stopped the enemy with the word of God coming out of his mouth that's the first that's the first way to stop this to, to combat these seven progressions number two comes from Romans chapter 2 verse 4 it says or do you or do you despise the riches of his goodness forbearance and long suffering not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance It's our job 
to stay in the Word of God knowing that it's His goodness. Because when we're in the Word of God, we discover His goodness, how much He loves us. Grace is His goodness. Repentance is His... It it is the grace of God that leads us. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. Repentance will stop the, the, the temptation on every level. Repentance. Do you know what repentance means? I said this last week when Richard was here. To, to repent means to change our mind or change our heart, to change our direction. So we're walking towards temptation, but if we'll repent, we turn away from that and we go in the way God wants us to go. Amen? That's what repentance is. It will. When you're tempted, we need to change our minds about that. Amen? We need to cast down imaginations, number one, and we need to repent, number two. It'll stop. It'll stop sin in its tracks. Amen? Repentance will terminate the conception of sin. I really didn't want to use any graphic language here, but I I feel like that I have to say it. I, I have to be blunt about it. But repentance aborts the conception of temptation and sin. Hello. It does. It stops it from from being birthed on the inside of us, conceived on the inside of us. It stops it. It puts it to death. So we got to turn away and change our hearts and our mind. Here's what I want to tell you in close. Repentance can be a process within itself. I, yeah, it's as easy as turning away, going one way and turning turning away. But repentance, there is a process to repentance as well. Effective repentance, there's a process, and we're going to talk about that next week. All right. So I'm going to leave it leave it leave it right there. Leave it on the cooker. It's going to taste so good later on. It's on the smoker. It's going to taste so good. Amen. Amen. It's just going to be it's just going to be a week. You got a lot of stuff to to do to think on over the next week, all right? All right, did y'all get anything out of that this morning? Let me let me pray for you real quick. Heavenly Father, I praise you and I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time together. Lord, I thank you that you have you have in your word explained to us sin and how it comes to us. But God, you have given us a way out. We, you've given us a way to step the way that Jesus stepped. And so, Lord, I pray that today we would we would begin to ask those questions or begin to see those things. Does those things would be revealed to us as to where sin is lurking and trying to manipulate us or, or deceive us into it? But Father, I thank you that your Son Jesus set the model for us to speak the word of God, that God, we set our affections on you, on, on the word of God, on the worship with God, on everything to do with you, God, on our relationship, our conversation, our prayer. Father, I pray that you would strengthen us to be people who do not enter into sin, but God, we identify it and, and rid that of our life in our lives. So Father, I thank you that as Christians, we can, we can step away. We can, we can 100% step away from the temptation that is being thrown at us every day. Father, I worship you and I thank you so much for who you are. God, I pray that if there's anybody in this room that has never asked Jesus to be the Lord of their life, God, I pray that they would do that right now. 
I pray that God, that they would just say, Jesus, I give you my life. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like down the road, but I do know that I am a sinner in need of a savior. And you are that savior. You are that grace. You are that blood that has brought me out of sin and into your glorious light. Father, I thank you and I praise you that these all over this room are saying yes to you. Will you, will we come and follow you? Yes, we will, God. Show us what that means. Father, I thank you that every person who has been sitting here and has identified some things in their own life, God, I pray that they would begin to terminate what that uh, sin or temptation has led us into, led us into sin, whatever the case may be. Father, I pray that we would terminate the, the further birthing of sin in our lives. God, I pray right now. God, I just I just put my prayer in agreement because God, I need your mercy. I need your grace more than anything. And so God, I, I just put it in the same place as each and every one of these sitting in this room. Father, show us how to walk, how to be prepared for your coming. In Jesus' name.